The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm so happy you've been listening and sharing your comments on the show with me. If you're new to Good Grief, you can find links to many ways to join our community at the Good Grief host page at Voice America Health and Wellness. You can like me on Facebook, follow on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, email me, subscribe to my newsletter, and check out my Pinterest pages. Please participate in the Good Grief Dialogue. Today I'm happy to welcome Dr. Deborah Rich. Deb is a licensed psychologist and certified perinatal loss caregiver. She's the founder of Shoshana Center for Reproductive Health Psychology and a Minnesota pioneer in reproductive health psychology, providing clinical care, consultation, and professional training for over 25 years. She's credentialed by Bereavement Services, RTS, as a perinatal bereavement caregiver and organizational coordinator and serves on their national faculty. In June 2013, Dr. Rich was among the first multidisciplinary cohorts receiving perinatal loss caregiver certificate, certification by the National Board for Certification of Hospice and Palliative Care Nurses. She's one of only a handful of mental health professionals in the field nationwide. This summer, Dr. Rich launched a perinatal bereavement training workshop for psychotherapists. Deb's work honors the memory of her first child, a daughter named Shoshana, who was stillborn a week before her due date in August 1985. You can find Deb Rich at www.shoshanacenter.com. Welcome, Deb. Thank you, Cheryl. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Um, you know, I'm I'm especially happy to have you here because it seems to me that of all the unrecognized losses in our culture, pregnancy losses and stillbirths are uh, even somehow a little more unrecognized. Um, it seems like people want to skip over it. Um, the people I've known have had that loss. It's so crushing, but I don't. It's they have to really work hard to get support. Do you find that to be true in your work? Absolutely. I think that's the most common experience is that people have never heard of it before. They weren't warned about it. They have assumptions that if I'm healthy and I take good care of myself and um, once I get pregnant, that that means automatically there's going to be a live baby at the end of this road. And um, actually 20 to 25% of pregnancies do not end in live birth, and yet we don't offer that information 
uh, right off the bat. There's all sorts of things you get at the doctor's office to be aware of, but that's not one of them. So people feel very alone, and it's only after they've experienced it that people come out of the woodwork uh, and they see themselves in a club they don't want to belong in. Um, but also uh, people around them really do not know how to be helpful. They don't really know how to relate to it. Um, it is very much an ostracized group. You know, I, I, I feel almost as if there's a, a bit of superstition, like, uh, I, you know, doctors, I find, can be a little superstitious even, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I won't mention that because it might get it in your mind or something. Uh, have you encountered that? I think that that's true. I mean, I often wonder why it is that we don't have some kind of, uh, maybe not posters perhaps, but at least some information, you know, where it says, here are the things to watch for, here's when you should have testing, that it could be handled very matter-of-factly because it does happen frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what you do when it happens, and here's how you might feel. Um, and on the other end of it, when it happens to you, people feel judged that automatically the assumption is that you did something wrong. Um, and they're fearful about sort of coming out um, and certainly fearful about asking for support until they feel absolved of any responsibility. Um, and that's a very important key response of um, people who have pregnancy loss is that we have this inborn desire to protect the fetus. I talk about that when I talk about developmental stage of reproductive life, um, that stage of life. I don't think we uh, are educated to think about it that way, but I think it's a very profound developmental stage, and we're inborn with this um, desire to protect the fetus, and so the first thought I when I'm training, I say the first thought people think about is, what did I do? Sure, and, and that's also so common in every type type of grief, but I yeah. would imagine it would be even more intensified because of that biological um, imperative to protect, yes? Yep, and it's in my body. I, so I failed, my body failed, I missed something. Like, there's no one else who could be responsible if the baby's in my body, mm. even though, you know, they, you, that's clearly irrational, but it does go there, and it takes a lot, a lot of work to um, live with that ambiguity and uncertainty. Well, and also, I'm aware because my, my daughter's having kids right now, I have a couple of very young grandchildren that people who are pregnant tend to be surrounded by people who are pregnant mm-hmm. and that tends to be their support network and then when one of them loses a baby that's very it's it really is a rupture in that support network as well did you experience that i, I or do you did. know other people who have absolutely i did i was very fortunate in that i was kind of at the beginning of my cohort when I got pregnant the first time and I was at the end of the same cohort when I got pregnant the second time. So I, uh-huh. I didn't lose my place, so to speak, in my 
social sphere, but um, what many women and and couples struggle with is that this baby was anticipated to be first grandchild or whatever it might be by their entire family, and events that were on the calendar, um, baby was expected to be there. And so uh, their whole identity changes and the expectations change. And for many people, they feel left behind. The whole world goes on without them, but they're still not um, achieving that step of parenthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, a sister-in-law whose friend uh, had a stillborn baby, and they uh, decided to bring their whole community into that process and um, have continued to have um, occasions once a year for the mm-hmm. baby and mm-hmm. really kind of insisted on their community supporting them in some way. And I thought that was very courageous because Absolutely. sometimes if you're not sure if you're going to get that support, you kind of don't want to take the chance. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And a, a large part of the work that I do with clinically with families is helping them to educate the people around them about what they need. And it feels unfair to them, like other people should know how to take care of you, but they don't. And I, they can often find with a little bit of coaching that if they provide a little bit of coaching, that people will step up. Um, and because of the Internet, there are lots of support groups that are online and people are a little more um, transparent online, and so they may bump into that kind of support. Um, but then you have the dichotomy of uh, the couple that get all their support online but have nobody in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, and that can be that can be a real uh, almost... Uh, make them feel the the lack of their own loved ones more, I would guess. Exactly, exactly. It's really a crisis of faith or or an existential crisis invariably, um, depending on where they were in life. But it befalls people of all walks of life, at all points in life. And so um, it fractures wherever they are. and whatever their relationships are, it really is quite the test. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go ahead. One thing that I noticed so much in the writings you sent me is is a sense of the ongoingness of uh, which, of course, integrates with what what I think about loss that we don't get over it that we we kind of integrate. And I wondered if you would share the um, the excerpt about. Uh, about that, really. It's the day after Yom Kippur it starts. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, I think that really speaks to something about how you're, you're training people to, uh, for the rest of their lives, have a relationship to this experience. Yes? Yes. And really, to, this child is part of their life story in forever. And many families now name even early losses or have some reference to it or some symbolic reference in the home. So there's kind of a placeholder, but also absolutely a relationship. 
it's somewhat different in early loss than it is in later loss because you actually need a baby Mm -hmm. um, and there's something tangible to show. But emotionally, we know that grief is not proportionate to gestational age. It really is about what the inner experience and anticipation was. Mm-hmm. So this piece was um, a discovery. Periodically in my life, there have been unexpected discoveries uh, that I did, that impacted me, and I might gather meaning, or it might be significant after the fact, but I certainly didn't go into it expecting. So this, here this goes. It's the day after Yom Kippur, ending the 18th Jewish New Year holiday since my daughter Shoshana was stillborn. In Jewish tradition, the Hebrew characters adding up to the number 18 spell life, and the number 18 is imbued with significance. Am I sure it is 18 holiday cycles? I count on my fingers. No, it's actually the 19th. I can hardly imagine how I got through the first time. Yesterday, as I listened to the quarterly memorial service, I unexpectedly found myself sobbing and breathless. Where did this come from? Those who knew me nodded lovingly, assuming, ah, yes, she's thinking of Shoshana. In truth, I had no words or thoughts, only what I felt like a deep well of sorrow. Looking back, I cannot disentangle the personal from the professional learning. They have been and always will be interwoven. Because of my work, I'm continually exposed to babies dying and pregnancies ending prematurely. These experiences inform my personal journey of self-discovery that aids me in integrating my loss. At the same time, my loss gives me a unique window into the experience of my patients. Still, in 18 years, I've not outgrown or become immune to episodic, unexpected, traumatic grief. As caregivers, we try to prepare parents for the return of intense emotions at particularly evocative times such as the anniversary of the due date, the birthday, Mother's Day, and holidays. We address the first few years pretty well. However, we are not specific or explicit enough about the lifelong ramifications. Hopefully sharing my personal learning will enable you to deepen your insight and enhance your practice. You know, I I just think that touched me so much because, of course, uh, this very show comes out of a loss that happened quite a long time ago. Uh, my wife dying, that was 1995, not quite as long as you, but it does continue to impact me so, so deeply, that experience and change over time. So I really I really resonated with that experience of yours. Mm-hmm. It, as I teach, it's interesting that um, I will periodically I'll have a new revelation or a new um, insight or sometimes an emotional experience that I hadn't expected that I'm talking and all of a sudden I'm choked up. And sometimes I know what triggered it, but why it triggered at this particular time, I have no idea. Um, and... Uh, that has happened again recently, so here we are 
29 years later, I am starting to use my own photos instead of um, photos of other patients when I teach about what stillborn babies look like and when I teach about the storyline of what it's like to experience that. I have a, um, a cassette tape uh, the day after I got home from the the day I got home from the hospital, we went to the funeral first and then home. The next day, my sister came over. My husband and my sister and I talked for an hour and a half and taped it about the birth experience. And we cried and we laughed. And and I listened to it annually for several years, and then I didn't. And I haven't listened to it for a while because I'm so scared to break the tape. But I've also been too scared to take it to one of those transfer places. <laughs> but now um, a bunch of things have come together where I think I have a really good making of a video. I've got my photos. I've got the voiceover of right when it happened. I've got my husband. I've got my sister. So I'm preparing myself <laughs> to hand over this tape um, to one of those transfer places to put it in a DVD with it digitalized so then I can edit it. Um, and a woman who was once a client of mine, I met at a conference recently and she's doing this work and her husband is a, um, a documentary filmmaker and she said, well, he could do it. So, mm. you know, it's interesting how you open the door to things and they, sometimes they appear. Yes, and I, I really, I, I really understand what you're saying there about, you know, how will this uh, transcriber understand how important it is and how precious and and how you just cannot lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> will they really, will they really honor that uh, in the way that you need them to? So it's good you found someone you who's going to know that. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it feels like I want to sit there the whole time. The way you would if you brought your child for surgery, you know, it, it is a representation in a way, which is, um, it's hard to do. And it was, um, the, I, the first time I used my photos was in a huge conference um, in June called the Stillbirth Summit that draws international researchers from all over the world. Let's start there when we come back, Deb. It's it's getting to be time for a break. So let's let's pick that up when we come back. Uh, during the break, listeners, please be sure to go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America. And to find out more about Dr. Deborah Rich, go to www.shoshanacenter.com. We'll be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Deborah Rich. Deb gave birth to a stillborn daughter, Shoshana, a week before her due date in 1985 and now works with parents experiencing similar similar losses. And before the break, Deb, we were talking about uh, the conference you did in June. I, I wonder if we could pick right up there and I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. So there's an organization called um, Star Legacy that has gathered researchers uh, from all over the world who are working on the science of preventing stillbirth and understanding how, uh, what causes it. Um, only about 39% of stillbirths are actually diagnosed, and there are lots of leads right now, which is fabulous. So there's two days of science and then one day of bereavement focus, and I spoke during the bereavement day about the trajectory of grief. And for the first time, I used my own photos um, and talked really um, openly, although I usually do speak openly, but talked openly about my own experience, but then they could see it, me, 29 years earlier, Mm. Um, and I had tremendous feedback about how powerful that was to hear me speaking about it and to see pictures of me. Somehow it just was even more personal and kind of broke through the scientific wall um, than if I had used other photos that are real photos of real patients. They're not um, enacted. But there I was standing, and there I was in these photos crying, holding a, a dead baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, it was remarkable to me how even more powerful it was to be at a place where I felt I could do that. Um, and it does represent a growth for me that I can do that. I didn't recognize until I did it 
both that I was nervous and that it was a that it was courageous and that it was really going to make a professional difference. You know that really uh, I can imagine how much more impact it would be because there wasn't any way to distance. There you were right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know when I when I speak on uh, my loss, um, the more I'm willing to expose myself about it, mm-hmm. um, the more uh, impact it has on the people I'm talking to. So I, I can well imagine how impactful that was. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and also to see that uh, it was still something you were interacting with. Uh, this experience is still, she's still... Uh, you still have a relationship with her in your life. They must have seen that too. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it it's a part of having named my practice Shoshana Center that makes it visible and unifies it for me. And is it is a legacy, as you titled the program. And um, being Jewish, I hadn't thought about ministry, but having worked in a hospital setting... Um, with a large population that is not Jewish, I began hearing people refer to my work as a ministry, and and it does fit. It is um, it is meaningful to me in that kind of way where I've had the experience and um, my mission in transforming professionals to be prepared to deal with it is. Um, even more passionate than my work with families, which is a very kind of embracing, welcoming, comforting. But I've got the banner up about it's really an important part of professional training. We're really doing a disservice to clients to ignore the reproductive years. Yeah, well, and honestly I'm trying to think back right now did I even get any direct training or substantial training about grief any kind right uh, which of course is at least for me I never work with anyone that grief isn't involved there's always some kind of loss involved in the work Absolutely. so it's interesting that we're not always trained in that way isn't it and then the specific differences in different kinds of losses that's so essential to know about so i'm glad you're doing that that training yeah and this is such a juxtaposition it's both in the theme of grief and it's in the intersection of grief and reproduction and childbearing which is what i consider the developmental stage and um it was always a a cha- it has always been a challenge in my work of uh, what department, what hat, what is it under? Um, is it going to go in the grief department or mm-hmm. in, a str- in an organization, or is it going to go in the childbirth department? Mm-hmm. Um, but as therapists, we don't need to um, break it up in that way. We don't need to categorize it in that way. And so we also don't get training about infertility, about postpartum depression, you know, we don't, and then the losses that occur with that, we don't get good training about end of life, we don't get good training about disease, the things, as you and I said, that if you're going to be a therapist, that's life. Those are the things you need to be prepared for. It's not just, I hate my mother. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. It feels like this would be a great time for you 
to read that section about your two births because I think it really captures uh, the lifelong, um, the sense of a lifelong journey with the loss. Would you share that? Sure. My first pregnancy was with my daughter Shoshana, named after my two grandmothers. If she had been a boy, we would have named him Micah or Misha after my father-in-law. Shoshana was born at 38-plus weeks after only two hours of labor. My sister made it to the hospital in time to capture the entire event in photos. I was so overwhelmed by the pace of labor that I needed my husband to put his face right up to mine to direct me how to breathe. Inhale, exhale. Three big pushes and she was out. It's a girl. Shoshana had a full head of thick black hair sweet, thin lips, perfect little hands and toes that overlapped just like in my baby pictures. She was exquisite. My second pregnancy was with my daughter, Yael, named after my father-in-law also. We called her Peanut in utero until we knew she was a girl. When I went into labor at 38-plus weeks, we grabbed the suitcase and headed for the hospital. I was so worried about delivering in the car that I made my husband give me a detailed travel log of our route, as if that would give me control. Once again, my sister met us at the hospital and took beautiful photos of the birth. I registered just after midnight, and Yael was born at 1.50 a.m. It's a girl. She, too, had a thick head of black hair and sweet little lips. Her facial features were more petite than Shoshana's. She had skinny little fingers, and her toes were not overlapping like mine. She had flat feet just like her dad. Yael reached her arms up and looked around as if to say, Here I am. And I go on to say, My daughter uh, Shoshana was stillborn in 1985, and my daughter Yael was born in 1986. Yeah, I was very impacted by them being... The two, uh, your two daughters being so close together, mm-hmm. and I and I was really wondering what it was like to go through pregnancy and birth with Yael after what you had experienced with Shoshana. I was someone who wanted to get pregnant sooner than later, um, although the first part of the grief felt horrific. Um, we went to support group 10 days after the loss, and I happened to have a great group and great care and connected with other families. So I just segued right into that. I had good friends, and I was supported. Um, but my husband and I both agreed that we would start trying again. And ultimately, we thought, we just have to try because we're only going to get more scared. Um, I had lots of exams during the course of the pregnancy, lots of ultrasounds, um, and I was terrified. And it it was a very long nine-month period. Um, I went on bed rest when Yael was, when I was 34 weeks pregnant with Yael, I had preterm labor. I called the doctor's office and I said, um, I think I'm in real labor. And they said, oh, good. And I said, no, no, not good. It's only 34 weeks. Oh, not good. Go to the hospital. Because I think everyone was kind of like holding their breath to get through this pregnancy. I felt 
that support in my doctor's practice, which was great. They were all like, let's get this baby here. Um, And then I was on bed rest for two weeks, which was nice. I stopped working. I just, I couldn't. And and then I got up and nothing happened. Um, Subsequent to that, I've been over and over and over in my head how how it is that Shoshana died and Yael did not. And for a long period of time, I felt like that two weeks on bed rest is what saved Yael, that somehow she and I knew that. Um, I have no way of knowing if that's true. I, I suspect that it is true mm. uh, to some degree. Um, and just that was kind of, whether it is or not, that was really reassuring. Um, well, that that you could... Uh you weren't helpless, for one yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there was something you could do, and you perceived it as helping. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, just that sense of as long as we can do something, the experience is different. Uh, mm-hmm. At the you know, same time, and I find this in my clients, the countdown at the end for people who've had a stillbirth is horrible mm-hmm. because you know that... Medically, the baby's better in than out, but boy, do you want that baby out so that you can see and hold and take care of and medical science will do things. And you know, and so that phase is over, yes, in a right, way. <laughs> right. I mean, you want the baby out so that if there's anything wrong, you can see it and something can be done. So sure. life expectancy has changed dramatically since I had Yael, and so people have a little bit of a sigh of relief after they get past 28 or 30 weeks, but at that point, babies died at 34 weeks. Yeah. It's a long haul. Long haul. The other thing that really struck me about that piece of writing is that um, I I was thinking about, I have three kids, but I gave birth to one of them. The other two are uh, not from my body, and I know what a big part of my identity has to do with that birth story. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that people talk about their birth stories all the time, but I had never heard uh, the actual birth story of a stillbirth before. Mm-hmm. And, and it really had a lot of impact on me because that is an experience of yours that is so powerful and intimate. Mm-hmm. But it feels to me like there's a difference in terms of would anyone ever ask you? You know, whereas people would ask you about, uh, I certainly got asked about my birth story mm-hmm. by other people who were pregnant, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, have you. Ha- how does that sit with you, that idea of, of the birth story actually having some significance there? I have a very wonderful friend who was pregnant at the same time as my second pregnancy. And I had this cohort, as I said. And she, at that time, was a childbirth educator and doula. And she gathered all of us to share our birth stories. It was a special evening. And we shared pictures at stories. And she made it very clear that I was invited to tell both stories. It was very powerful to be included in that way. And I'm just, I'm very fortunate. Uh, Most people don't have that. Um, Everyone who's had a stillbirth has that experience of people saying, 
how many children do you have? And you have to decide. And when people say, oh, when I was pregnant with, you know, Brian, and then when I was pregnant with, you know, and so I also have to decide, do I just say, well, when I was pregnant with the, uh, or do I say, do I use that birth experience just in regular conversation the way anyone who's given birth would do? Um, it's, it's tricky, and sometimes I can just decide without it upsetting me, and other times it makes me mad. <laughs> Uh Uh that I even have to make that decision. And in fact, I had a situation come up. So this is one of those, again, the unpredictable. I um, went to a doctor's office. They had changed to electronic records. And she was going over my history. The nurse was going over my history. We had never met before. The doctor had delivered both of my babies. Um, And she said, so I see you have no pregnancies, no births. And I said, no, I've had two full-term pregnancies. One was stillborn, and the other was a full-term live birth. Oh, I don't know how we made that mistake. And then she just went on, and I was upset. Um, And I wasn't mad at her, but after my doctor came in, I said, I would like to give you some feedback. Um, And I told her what had happened, and I said, it's never too late to say I'm sorry when a patient has to say that one of my babies died or I I miscarried always and I would really appreciate if you would instruct your staff I'm not mad at her I understand and my doctor said absolutely thank you for the feedback and it's those kinds of teaching moments that um, I'm especially committed to be kind but to provide the teaching moment well, and that's the thing with so many experiences of loss in particular that you are kind of an automatic, you're in, automatically in the position of educating. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, because you have also um, come to do this for work, that makes it, you know, even more imperative to you, I imagine, but I find everyone is in that spot when they've mm-hmm. had an experience that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, and so it's, in my work, we we often discuss, you know, you get to say whatever you want to say at the time based on what works best for you, but parents feel very disloyal if they don't acknowledge, sure. and yeah. so it's really a conundrum. Conundrum, um, yeah. I might Guess not what, want. it's time for our second break. Yep. So quickly, <laughs> in these few minutes, be sure to go to my host page or my website. I'm available for individual and couples therapy anywhere in California and for speaking and consulting nationally. And please also find Dr. Deborah Rich at www.shoshanacenter.com. Be back soon. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome you back to Good Good Grief. Today I'm I've been talking with Dr. Deborah Rich, who established the Shoshana Center, offering services to families facing difficulty with reproduction in honor of her daughter Shoshana, who was stillborn a week before her due date in 1985. Deb, in this in this our last segment together, I'd really like to talk about your center because um, I was. Uh, it really stood out to me that you um, that you began it as your daughter Yael was leaving for college. I think I was similarly influenced when my uh, youngest child left a few years ago. I think that's where this radio show came from. So that stood out to me quite a bit. Um, but I also wondered if there was any way that... Uh, I know you talked some in your articles about kind of in some sense, protecting Yael, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not wanting her childhood to be um, over-blanketed by mm-hmm. Shoshana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder, do you connect that, that, that you kind of didn't have to do that anymore in the same way? Or was it just that you had more time? Well, it was also partially um, because... Uh, Yael's dad and I split up, and so um, there are just too many variables. I wanted her to be connected to her dad. Her dad and I weren't connected about Shoshana, um, and I just wanted to be really, you know, I didn't want her to feel an absent father, and so I also didn't want to have this overwhelming thing of a previous child that I missed and longed for, and I've always adored Yael, and there's that experience that parents have um, of knowing that their child's going to realize at some point that if the other child had lived, that they might not exist. Um, I'm delighted that I have Yael uh, and, and have that same experience parents have of, I wish I could have both of them, but of course I wouldn't. Um, 
But I think I think it was as you suggest that um, I had um, it was purposeful, but it also was fulfilling. As the empty nest of her leaving was horrible, <laughs> it was extremely painful, and so um, it was like having another child at home in a way to really launch and put my energy into Shoshana Center, and in fact. My daughter, Yael, is getting married and already talking about getting pregnant. She'll be 28. And um, I'm staging another growth spurt in Shoshana Center with expanding, and I'm entirely in private practice now and um, doing much more consulting in curriculum development, organizational work, and statewide grants. And um, I really am growing into being a grandmother in, in my professional life. Um, so before I'm a grandma, an actual grandmother, but it, mm. it is another sphere of I, I have colleagues that are young enough to be my daughter, and we don't think of it that way, and I'm in my late 50s, so I'm not old. I have quite a number of years left in my career, but it's recognizable to me that... Um, I want to imbue that generation with information the way that grandparents want to do in that generativity stage. I'm very much there. Mm. I just heard a speaker who's who's been writing about adolescence, and he was speaking about keeping adolescent the the tremendous qualities of adolescence going. And the one that stuck on me the most is doing new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I sort of feel as if being able to enliven ourselves at this point, uh, obviously there's there's something special about doing something so so deeply integrated in, into who you are, mm-hmm. uh, doing it about. But also there's just the newness and the um, excitement. Mm-hmm. What's been What's been most exciting to you about actually? Uh, launching a center. It sounds as if you've done this work in various ways for a long time, but in launching that, what's been what's been most um, you know uh, impactful, I guess. Yeah. Well, for all this time, it's been virtual, um, and that's been wonderful. And it's really me doing a number of things. But now we're looking at expanding, and I think um, what's exciting is that. I feel a power and a freedom to impact in a large sphere. I never wanted to just be a private practitioner because my vision and my drive is to have a larger impact. Um, ideally, globally, I don't know if that will happen, but I do have colleagues globally. And I, um, I want to do training and mentoring, and so... Uh, that generativity is going to be both tangible and virtual, and that is very exciting to me. And I truly see the leaving a legacy in that I want to create enough tangible that it lives past me. Mm. Uh, You know, I'd like you to read that last excerpt because I think it really capture something about the direction you're going in even even though it's actually uh, very personal I feel it captures it would you share that with us thank you yes 
When I launched Yael off to college in August 2004, the sadness of extended separation was unexpectedly accompanied by a brainstorm. I could turn my attention back to my daughter Shoshana and continue to parent her in a very tangible way. I organized my many part-time professional hats under one umbrella named Shoshana Center for Reproductive Health Psychology. Certainly, the direction of my work life arose out of my stillbirth experience. However, I would now purposefully parent Shoshana via my work. As it happened this past summer, which was when I wrote this um, a few years ago, Yael was home for an extended visit that overlapped Shoshana's birthday. Logistics required that I cross paths with her father much more frequently than had been the case for many years. The morning of Shoshana's birthday, a day I always take off work, Yael asked to borrow my car. On impulse, I called her dad and asked if we might drive out to the cemetery together. He agreed without hesitation. Yael drove off in my car, and I hopped into a car with her father. The last time Yael's dad and I were at Shoshana's grave together was in 1988. It's also the last time that Yael was at Shoshana's grave. Yael, who was a toddler at the time, scrambled around the gravestones with a peaceful curiosity. Now here we were, the two parents, united in gratification over the success of our daughter Yael and in grieving the permanence of having lost Shoshana. As if under a magic spell, we kindly shared years' worth of wondering, what does Shoshana mean to you? How has her death affected you? How do you think about where she is now? How do you honor her memory? I heard for the first time about how he struggled with feelings of self-doubt and blame for her death long past our initial shared bereavement, just as I did. It was a precious afternoon, and healing took place. While I do not know if we will do that again, I do know that the poignancy of grieving alone is gone. I returned home, kissed and hugged my husband, and we spent a cozy evening together. I was especially moved by the last sentence mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, those losses and who shared them with you have to be a part of the new thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds as if you have wel- welcoming arms to do that, to to bring um, all those experiences in. So I was, you know, to go home and hug and be cozy after after having that grief. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed seemed an, an especially important part of the story to me. And what what has been tricky is that um, I've wanted my husband Greg to share this loss with me, and of course he didn't know me at the time. Um, when we moved in together, my daughter Yael was almost nine, so he also didn't share that parenting, and he has not had biological children. So he's not the parent of either my daughters, and that's that's a sadness for me not to have that. Um, but it was especially tricky that he couldn't possibly understand the grief, and I felt so distant and at times angry about that. Um, recently, a, a colleague asked us to talk about... Um, experiences of men and women because he's a psychologist and we teach together 
and she asked him to talk about the experience of being Shoshana's stepfather. And he said to me, do you think of me as Shoshana's stepfather? I said, I definitely do not. So we both said to her, no, we don't think about it that way. Um, and I don't know, I have not run across anyone with this experience to know or ask if the new partner experiences that as, as a stepchild, step, yeah, as a stepchild. But what was profound for me in this moment that I capture is that I, I came to peace about it. I, and there were no words that went with it. I didn't kind of coach myself. But mm-hmm. I'm glad it's nice to hear that it had that effect on you because that's exactly what my intention was in writing about it was that I have a, I have a different life now and I'm at peace with that most of the time. <laughs> Nothing's perfect. Yeah. What is what is the saying? Nothing everything's perfect, but there's always room for improvement, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but I think I think that's so elemental too in terms of any step step family that you there are very huge experiences you don't share. Mm-hmm. And uh then to add to that um one of the hugest, the person that embodies it not actually being present, I can imagine that being uh, very profound. Of course, I experienced that somewhat um, with with my wife and Joanne, mm-hmm. which is somewhat complex because, of course, I really would not be with my wife had Joanne not died. Right. <laughs> you know? So that was a complexity for a lot of years. Uh, right. But right. but I do think over time, the peace you find evolves, doesn't it? That it does. that was a moment of evolution, wasn't it? That it maybe was. maybe wouldn't have been possible earlier. Absolutely, and <clears throat> the spontaneity of going to the cemetery with Yael's dad would wouldn't possibly have happened in a planned way. Um, and during I. I write in in another article about during the course of time we shared parenting Shoshana in an odd way in that we always were aware one of us would get to the cemetery and see flowers or something remaining from the other. And when the cemetery was vandalized, he called me to say he was going out to check. Um, And it was very thoughtful of him to do that, and we felt very connected in that way without ever talking about, you know, will you do this, will I do that? Um, but yes, this was very much an unexpected but profound and um, uh, re- uh, relieving, um, depressurizing experience. Um, and we continue, yes, you do continue to have that over a, a long period of time. I think I'm terrified about my daughter being pregnant. Um because I know too many things, and I don't want to impose that on her either. Right. Um, so she, she'll think, you know, Mom, you're being overly cautious, and part of me wants to dismiss it, and part of me wants to say, are you crazy? I do this work every day. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have full confidence, Deb, that you are going to navigate that beautifully based on everything we've talked about today. I, I really want to thank you so much for this conversation. It's been wonderful. Thank you. 
And listeners, please go to www.shoshanacenter.com to find out more about Dr. Deborah Rich. Next week, join me with my guest, Lynn Waldrop, a medical intuitive who works with her clients to remove blocks both physical and emotional. We'll talk especially about how to remove blocks which can be part of the grieving process. Don't forget to check me out on my host page. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.